Okay, hey, we're back here we're doing more live from the Heartland. We're broadcasting live from the Heartland Cafe today. We will not be here next week. That's the 11th. We'll be downtown. But we are glad to be here today. And I am, I'm really excited that a uh, guy that I knew from way long time ago is crossing the country. When I was a young fellow, went to Berkeley, uh, kind of had a lot to learn. And one of the guys who came on the scene was this mod-looking guy with a little cropped hair across his bangs, a black coat, pointed toe shoes. He was from England, and he brought with him his uh, lovely wife, Antonia. And now he is an uh, international peace activist, has taught at a number of places across the blue waters as well as in the States. I introduce to you my fellow host, the one, the only, Nigel Young. Welcome, Nigel. Hey, welcome, Nigel. Come right Thank up. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. I, I think uh, even though... Jerome McDonald beat us this week. He yeah, had him yesterday. First. Normally, normally we get him first, yeah, around, and he, yeah. he listens to us and calls him. But uh, it, it was a short interview, and we can ask other questions today. Mm-hmm. You wrote a four-tome uh, encyclopedia. I edited it. You I, edited I it. I wrote 25 out of eight, 800 entries, yeah. oh, and, and a long introduction. And yeah. I recruited all the people who were brilliant. Uh, to write those things, so about 400 contributors. And, and it's called the Oxford International uh, Encyclopedia of Peace. That is correct. And, and so it's all peace activities? Yeah, right across the board. I mean, it, it's very wide. Uh, it uh, includes sort of security organizations, peace movements, peace figures. Um, you know, Cesar Chavez is in there as um, an introduction by the Dalai Lama. So it's very broad. It goes right across academic subjects, activist subjects, you know, political issues. Um, so it, it's widespread, but the idea was to, in a sense, give more intellectual infrastructure for the peace studies and peace education movement, which was really growing mm-hmm. uh, in the 80s and 90s, and it, and it needed that extra sense of legitimation, if you like, to have a, this sort of uh, you know, Oxford University Press prestigious and reliable and fact-checking and so on, but to have these volumes out there, and, uh, and that's what we did. Tremendous. Um, uh, go ahead. One of the key um, international issues that we seem to be facing these days is uh, a restart of nuclear programs. Uh, Iran might be governed by a multilateral agreement. North Korea, who knows what's going on there with a current president in the White House that seems to be just uh, uh, stoking that up even more. Should we fear North Korea getting nukes? I think we need to fear the whole denial about nuclear weapons that's going on, starting in the White House. You know, when you talk about wiping out a country, what does that mean? Particularly mm. when those people are victims of a vicious dictatorship and they're starving to death. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you're going to wipe them out with nuclear weapons. What kind of moral leadership or political leadership is that? It's outrageous none. the way it's we none. are denying nuclear weapons. Well, number 45 actually called for building up our nuclear arsenal even more. That ought to be 10 times right. bigger than that's it is. That's right. After the amazing... Uh, agreement between Gorbachev and Reagan to, to substantially cut nuclear armaments and then the start talks, which was a real move forward in terms of non-proliferation. Here we have a president saying we need 10 times more. For what? We already have overkill. We already have doomsday machine, enough to wipe out everything on the face of the earth. So why more? Yeah, this is a, a, an incredible period of, you know, as Bill Maher said, at that slapping sound you heard yesterday was the entire country hitting their forehead when every time another tweet comes out. Um, 
I remember uh, the march uh, in Central Park. I was part of it in uh, 1982 at the second uh, UN conference on disarmament, nuclear disarmament. A million people. That was 30-some years ago. Why? I mean, a lot of us talk about having to fight the same battles over and over again in different generations, but we're going a deep dive on that right now. How I mean, having been involved in the peace movement for a very long time mm -hmm. uh, and studied it as well, I, I'm afraid we have to reinvent the peace movement every decade, you know, with new issues, new style, new methods, and so on. And, and right now, we need to do that, I'm afraid. You know, we have to go back, as we had to in, in 1980, as we had to in 1960, and reinvent the peace movement. And it's a, it's a real task. And it's one of the reasons I've come over now, actually. And what, is, what are the two or three... You know, when you when you lay that out to people, what are the first two or three items that you, in a 2017, uh, a 2017 era peace movement and anti-nuke movement, what do you say to people? Well, first we have to get over the barrier of denial. You know that you know that people block out the idea of catastrophe. Uh -huh. That there can't be accidents. A year ago, there was a, an accident with a, a British nuclear Trident missile being tested. Uh, north of Bermuda. It was supposed to land off the coast of Africa. But the, this very sophisticated weapon went off course. It was heading for Boston. So they had to warn the shipping and destroy it in midair. Mm. This wasn't reported. No, it the, wasn't. The, the, the British government didn't, uh, didn't announce it. It was only when it got to the debate on Trident, months later, that Theresa May, the Prime Minister, was asked, did you know that, that this accident had happened? And she, her answer was about as lame as you can get was, well, it wasn't the subject of the debate. In other words, no <sighs> denial. So yes, it had, ha it had happened. Uh, it, it didn't have nuclear warheads on it, but you know, just think about it. The kind of accidents that have gone on for 50 years of the nuclear arms race, miscalculations, uh, people talking about surprise attack or preemption. Uh, the Dr. Strangeoff scenario is still with us, you know, and uh, we just have to, first of all, re-educate. And then secondly, you know, going back to the whole East Asia in particular, but also the Iran deal, I think, we have to be serious about non-proliferation, which is why in, in the UK I campaign uh, vigorously for getting rid of the British nuclear deterrent. It's wasteful, it's dangerous, and it's stupid. And thank goodness we now have a, a leader of a major opposition party who thinks so too. And we just have to get that bar over that barrier uh, of thinking that England needs its little set of bombs, you know, 148 Hiroshima's on each submarine, uh, that it needs that for prestige, for whatever. I mean, it couldn't be used independent of the United States. So there it is, floating out in the Atlantic, terribly dangerous. If we got rid of it, it would be a great move in the other direction. Because in East Asia, you've got the potential, as the New York Times depressingly told us last Sunday, uh, of a huge nuclear arms race, both Korea's uh, China, uh, China, uh, Japan with this huge stockpile of, of fissile materials that could be turned into warheads in a year. So a frightening scenario if this continues. So it's time to step back. It's time to educate. Uh, and I think we really have to be serious about nukes again. It's the third time in, in 60 years, but we need to be. Nigel, I've really enjoyed uh, having you around the last couple of days talking about uh, the past, history, etc., the difference between mods and rockers and the trods 
uh, and the connection of the Communist Party and various left-wing groups to culture, uh, and learning a little bit about British politics. And you are wearing a pin today that says 48% and rising. I wondered if you could fill us in on uh, Corbyn, the Labour Party, uh, what's going on over across the Blue Waters? Little Englandism. Uh, Little Englandism. Uh, you know, it's the America first. America first. England first. England first. England standing against, alone against Hitler. This whole mythology. Rewriting history. You know, just as we're right, rewriting, rewriting the history of the Civil War and slavery and, and all the rest of it right now. So it's that kind of nationalist retreat, uh, a sense of fear or insecurity, you know, uh, and uh, while Scotland is going in one direction, mm. The north of Ireland, thinking about its own identity, its relationship with the, with the south, uh, you've got England sort of entrenching itself in this sort of mythical world of, of uh, like the movie Dunkirk, which is a part of that mythology. You mm -hmm. know, it, was, it was a defeat. It was, uh, you know, England was about to be invaded and Churchill thought we would be. And it was only because Hitler turned against Russia that, that England wasn't occupied. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the reality, not, not you know, the Battle of Britain. This mythology, for example, the Battle of Britain is, is celebrated as something that the Brits did. Most of the, the pilots who flew over London at that time uh, were Polish. Are they remembered? Are there celebrations? You know, we've got November 11th soon, Remembrance Day. Will they remember the Polish pilots at their monument near London Airport? You bet. Wow. No, of course not. You talk about memory a lot, and I think yep. it's um, really uh, key. Um, issue that we are rewriting history um, always and uh, you know I, we have the what's his face Lowen's book on lies my history professor taught me um, wh what is what is the clearest way for people to actually uh, get to the truth these days yeah why don't you tell us yeah could you tell ready. us so we could look it up online and you know find out what's really going on no. Well, uh, mem memory is a good place to start. I don't depend on history because too much of it is written from the point of view of the nation, the, the state, and, mm -hmm. the, and the power elites. We know that. Um, but I think that in, in the case of Europe, just to go back to the whole issue of Europe at the moment, what we often forget and what was missing in the debate about uh, England and Britain's relationship with Europe was that Europe, after 1945, didn't want a third European civil war. And so the determination to create the European Union came very much from progressive forces. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, it's dominated often by corporations and cartels and neoliberalism, but the impulse came from a prison in Italy. Spinelli was a Communist Party member imprisoned by Mussolini and kept in jail by the, by the Germans after the Italians capitulated. But he wrote, he spent his whole time in prison writing these manifestos for a European community uh, where nation states would surrender some of their sovereignty on important issues, which, which is what's happened. And mm -hmm. that's extraordinary when you think about it. Extraordinary, exactly. It, it's, it's a, I think, probably the greatest peace achievement of, of the 20th century in many ways, mm -hmm. that you know, a society has been fighting internecine conflicts for, well, 500, 600 years, begins to create a community in which that cannot happen because there are no borders, uh, because there are too many common institutions binding people together. And when this stupid referendum took place, uh, and with a very racist campaign, uh, anti-migrant campaign at the base of it, Nigel Farage and company that, of course, Trump embraces, we know, uh, 
all, all the wrong buttons were pressed. And not, nothing of this, the positives of being a European, which I very much feel I have an American passport as well, but I do feel very European, not, not English. And that all that was being lost in that campaign uh, to get out of it. It was a really regressive, just as I, Trumpism seems to be the same kind of it. Right. Moving back. Right. And, and, and not seeing just what an extraordinary uh, event it was that the European nations came uh, together and, and it still put huge potential. Uh, but it's, it's hard times right now. But we're going to reverse it. So other second thoughts about Brexit? Is that oh, what yes. the 48% means? Yes. Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, in fact, many people think that it's just not doable. I mean, can there really be a hard border between the north and south of Ireland? Exactly. <laughs> I mean... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where are you going next? I'm heading for LA. I'm uh, doing my, my yet another road trip. I don't know how many more I got left in me, but I did we one with one, Michael a long time ago. Yeah, we took a long road trip together. Uh, it's really great having you here. Do you have a website or an email that people can contact you and learn more about your books? Yes, NigelYoungPeace.com. NigelYoungPeace.com. Check it out. You'll like this guy the more you get to know him. <laughs> we're really, we're really glad to have you here, brother. It's been a long time, and yeah. I'm sure we'll see each other more often. It's really good to get educated I've been about the Corbin to Yorkshire. Left. <laughs> you should go to Yorkshire, Michael. <laughs> for a long vacation. Thank you so much, Nigel. Thank you for joining us.